Is it the right time to replace your combustion car with an EV and maybe even run your house using the big fat battery in the EV overnight? I'm John Hogan from AutoExpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap. Australia only. Even EVs though. Website. Card. Now, I've got this question here from Steve Beggs, Bego, who says, I recently watched your YouTube on the EV costs and V2L comments, which I watched with interest. Well, thank you, Bego. Very kind. I appreciate your interest. I have rooftop solar, blah, blah, blah. My thoughts are to purchase an EV and then charge it during the day and run the house at night from the EV. Well... Good thoughts, Bego. But there are a few practicalities to consider, aren't there? Like, let's just think about that. Let's move forward in time to a hypothetical place in the future, which we might call electric utopia, where the grid is solar and wind predominantly, and everybody is a little compromised, therefore, at night, aren't they? Because the sun has fucked off, basically, and if it's not windy, then all those air conditioners in the middle of summer and all those fridges and freezers that need to chill our food and things of this nature, you know, the inflator for your blow-up, whatever. It's all going to require electricity, which has to come from somewhere. And I'd suggest that somewhere could be the big fat battery sitting just out there in the carport or something inside Yo EV because it's got like, I don't know, 400 k's of range and then you're probably only going to drive 40 or 50 k's tomorrow so you've got all of this energy that you really don't need straight away right you could suck energy out of that and run your house you could even hypothetically pump it back into the grid and sell it to yo electricity retailer as a means of stabilizing the grid at times when the grid is not really keeping up from its photovoltaic and wind type resources, right? Generation resources. So that would be kind of paradise on earth, wouldn't it? But there's a couple of problems right now. And problem number one is actually getting the energy out of the EV. A lot of EVs don't allow that off the bat. And I suppose there might be some plug-in thing that allows that down the track, like a bi-directional charger where you can suck electricity out of the grid and put it in the battery at times. And then at other times, you could tell it to suck electricity out of the vehicle and pump it back into your house and by extension, into the grid if that sort of thing is allowed and we get the infrastructure together which is yeah, kind of doubtful because the world is run by politicians who are all failed lawyer assholes with no real grasp of the technicalities so that's an impediment to getting anything freaking done isn't it anywho Right at the moment, you can buy some EVs with V2L capability, like the MG ZS EV. I think uh, Hyundai Ioniq 5 and the upcoming Ioniq 6 will allow V2L as well. The question then becomes, how much electricity can you get out of them? And in the case of the MG ZS EV, it's two and a half kilowatts, which is roughly one standard domestic power point pumping its little heart out at its maximum supply of about 10 amps, right? 
So that's not going to run the whole house pathetically enough, is it? It's not going to cope with your three split system air conditioners and your two fridges and your freezer and your five TVs and the kids and, you know, you might have some blow-up accessory that you need to quickly pump up in the evening just before bed, hypothetically. It's all going to drain a lot of electricity is what I'm saying and two and a half kVA might not be enough. So there's that. And there's also the question of regulation surrounding getting energy out of your battery and putting it back into your house, which is not all that straightforward. Like you can certainly plug with EMG, you buy an aftermarket accessory, not an aftermarket, you buy a genuine accessory and you plug it in, it's a cable, right? And when you plug that cable in, it's got like a power point in the other end of it and you plug in an extension cord and a power board and you run a few appliances off it, dead simple. Okay, you can be out on location at a friggin' picnic charging up your I don't know, electric bike or running your espresso machine because you couldn't make instant coffee. You know, that'd be you'd be a peasant, wouldn't you? So there's all of that kind of functionality built in. You could run an extension cord here into the fat cave and run these lights and, you know, plug in a USB adapter for a camera or whatever. And you could roll even in a friggin' blackout, which is how I kind of like it, you know? always up, that's me, kind of thing. However, in the domain of regulation, it may well be that to power your whole house off a car in the future, you're going to need some safeguards. Like, you're going to need a means of shutting down the power to the grid, right? Because if you want power failure, blackout type protection, then it's no good if that switch remains open. The main switch in the switchboard, if that's still open, a couple of problems there. There's dudes out there trying to fix the wires during a power failure. They've got their hands on the bits that would otherwise be live, and you're pumping electricity out into the friggin' street, which is counterproductive, especially if a whole bunch of other people are doing that. It might energise the grid enough to zap them. And then there's every other house in your friggin' street, all of which have, you know, fridges and air conditioners and power-hungry devices of this nature which are all switched on and dormant during a friggin blackout and you can't possibly power all of them up with your own EV. So that switch needs to automatically go off and then there's the other regulatory aspect to all of this which may be that they will require you to upgrade the wiring in your home to current standards and that's going to be a problem if you've got like a 50 to 100 year old house with 50 to 100 year old wiring in some parts because the cost of upgrading that could be mega bucks. Much easier, I think, uh, temporarily to just run a few appliances off the car if you've got V2L functionality like the MGZS EV. So I hope I haven't misrepresented any of that too badly and I hope you get where I'm coming from. Bego! Like, Bego goes on and says, My shoe is. We now have a beautiful Kona N-Series. The only beautiful Kona in existence. There you go. Beautiful. That's not an adjective I'd use. But anyway, it's in the eye of the beholder, I suppose. That we would charge for the... We would change... Charge, change, tomato, tomato. We would change for the EV. And after your comments on the MG ZS EV, that will be a serious consideration. I don't think you're running your whole house off the MG ZS EV. Dude, the Kona does 10 to 12,000 kilometres a year, local running mostly, and it will do us for many years, but, all in caps, so this is an important but, this is a 
big butt. But I'm concerned re really, the battery life of the EV, regardless of the make I choose. And will it be worth anything in five plus years old? And or the cost of battery replacement, if we can get one then. Battery development will probably be way ahead of the 2023 model. Don't think so. Okay, there's a couple of flaws here in the logic, bego. The first one is that the battery's gonna croak in five years, okay? If it's a lithium iron phosphate battery, it should be good for about three and a half thousand cycles of charging, which would be one full sort of charge a day, one significant charge a day for 10 years, okay? And by that time, it should have reduced to about 80% of its initial capacity, which is not gonna be a huge deal, I'd suggest. So the longevity of batteries, if the manufacturer thermally manages them appropriately so that they don't get too hot during intense charging or discharging, the longevity of batteries is kind of going to be okay. They have to monumentally fuck it up to get that wrong. I'm looking at you, Generation 1 Nissan Leaf. Well done, designers there. Okay, the other thing is that these new technologies, battery development being way ahead in five years, that's just not the case. There's no new battery technology on the horizon. And in fact, five years ago or three years ago, however far back you want to go, there are examples of people such as the P.T. Barnum of EVs, Elon Musk, spruiking this electric future like the Tesla Semi and the Cybertruck. And both of these vehicles are in part predicated on miraculous new battery technology. And he even has battery days where he spruiks new battery technology that never happens, okay? And it never happens because the periodic table of elements is friggin' known. Lithium is the Goldilocks element. There are no new elements to discover. This is not Tony Stark doing some magic shit in an Avengers movie. This is real science, okay? The periodic table is known. Lithium is the Goldilocks element. You can tweak the chemistry, sure. Okay, and that's like every other engineering compromise. If you tweak the chemistry for maximum discharge, you, you shorten the life of the battery and you also open the door to overheating causing in extremis catastrophic thermal runaway, which is that fire that you just can't put out until all of the electrolyte is exhausted by the fire, all right? So chemical tweaks are possible, but it's a compromise game. It's not, let's use miraculous new technology to make batteries even better. That's not foreseeably going to happen. And if you want to wait for that, if you think that's going to happen, if that's a nice fantasy for you, then hey, I'm happy for you to have your fantasy, but it's just not foreseeably on the cards, all right? And if you want to leverage the future on some maybe that sounds great, wouldn't it be lovely if this was a script in a movie? Like, that's up to you, dude. But here in the domain of facts and what's available, it's not going to happen. Sure, there are lots of nice ideas like supercapacitors and graphene and things of this nature. The only problem with that is they're in the lab mucking around with that stuff and there's no evidence that it's ever going to be production ready because there are actual impediments to rolling it out, okay? Bego goes on and says, 
My quandary is keep the Kona and an installer battery in the garage or swap the Kona for an EV V2L. Okay, so I'd suggest that just buying an EV, getting rid of a perfectly serviceable combustion car and buying an EV just because it's a battery on wheels that you can run your house overnight with is ridiculous. At least it's economically irrational. If you are going to buy an EV, then okay, Get one with V2L. If you've made a commitment to clean air for the city or you've made some commitment to national energy security, both of which things can be defensibly facilitated by EVs, then yeah, dude, get one with V2L and suck some electricity out of it and run aspects of your home overnight, right? Approved. But spending 50 grand replacing a perfectly serviceable, reasonably new car just so you've got a battery on wheels to run your house overnight. That's absurd. It's functionally absurd. You could get something like a Bluetti AC500, okay? That's like a five kilowatt inverter. And then you have these modular battery packs called B300S battery packs. They're three kilowatt hours each. And you can combine your AC500 with as many modular batteries as you want, up to six of them, for 18 kilowatt hours of battery storage to run your house with, okay? That's a phenomenal amount of energy to burn overnight kind of thing. You could pump it up every day using your rooftop solar, and that would be available to you at a fraction of the cost of an EV, and also easier to integrate into a house right now, incidentally. So there's that. I'll put a link to Blue Eddy in the description. This is not sponsored by Blue Eddy, although I do have a commercial arrangement with them. If you buy any of their stuff, I will get a small commission. I'm just using the Blue Eddy AC500 as an example. It's not available in Australia just yet. It's coming like its deployment is imminent. At the moment, you can get an AC300 with B300 packs and that'll supply three kilowatts. But the 500 is a substantial upgrade. And if you're thinking about running your house overnight, I'd really be thinking about that. Anyway, Bego goes on and says, P.S. I love you, no BS commentary on all things motoring, but I can do without the politics. Cheers, Bego. Everyone is a frustrated executive producer, aren't they? I don't know what's the problem with political commentary. Like, politicians are the reason why you can't plug your V2L into your house right now and run the house off it, okay? Because they haven't got their shit together. They're generally inept, scientifically illiterate, failed lawyers. And right-wing politicians in particular tend also to believe that they're a special class of human being, the ruling elite, instead of just what they are, which is people who want to serve the public. That's what they should be, you know, but they're not, and we allow this, and it's disgraceful. It, it really is. So what's wrong with pointing that out? Bego, I ask you. I mean, in the immortal words of Pauline Hanson... Please explain.